and welcome to a brand new edition of The More The Merrier. Happy New Year to those of you um, who are still celebrating. Um, on this show, I will be interviewing Steve Grapestock, who is the departing senior programmer at the Toronto International Film Festival. And before he leaves at the end of the month, Steve has curated a series of short and feature films that will be running until the end of January at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. And for all the information, you can go to www.tiff.net. The program is called Scene the North. Going to get the show started with some Albita and Año Nuevo, then into my interview with Steve. And then after that, you'll hear from Toronto's Mosa Nishama with Home, followed by a story by Comfort Ayasi Arrow, the storyteller and the seven days story. After that, I'll be ending the show with Okavango African Orchestra and their track called Bolo. Thank you so much for tuning in to The More The Merrier. And as usual, you can contact me via www.ciut.fm. Click on The More The Merrier and all my social contacts are there as well as my email. Enjoy.
You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. The show is The More the Merrier. This is Donna G. And I'm happy to invite Steve Gravestock, Senior Programmer at the Toronto International Film Festival, to join me in talking about Seeing the North, a special program that he has curated as he prepares to leave the Toronto Film Festival. So Steve, welcome to CIUT, The More the Merrier, but hopefully not the last time. (laughs) Hope not. Thanks. Thanks for having me. As we speak, uh, uh, two films have already screened, Phantom of the Paradise and Phantom of Winnipeg. But we have coming up this week, um, if you're listening Sunday, then coming up this week, you're starting off. It's an Orson Welles interview by Alan King. and It's uh, actually an excerpt, not the full film. Yeah. Tell me about the excerpt. Uh, It's Orson Welles. I think he was living in Rome at the time. Uh, but in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, King worked for the CBC uh, and did a lot of uh, interviews with very prominent figures, writers, um, politicians. Uh, but he, I mean, for me, the most salient one was the was Orson Welles. Uh, he got uh, Welles uh, to talk about uh, or the, he and the interviewer got Welles to talk about a wide range of subjects. What really I really liked in the interview um, was Wells talking about acting and American acting versus your uh, Eng- British acting, uh, particularly in terms of Shakespeare. Well, Wells was a, a very, uh, you know, he was an actor himself and a great director. And uh, his comments on acting, I find um, really thoughtful and intelligent and also kind of, you know, slightly outrageous, as you might expect from Wells. Uh, but he also t- he also talks about being an uh, uh, an expat artist and uh, you know an exile artist. What that means? Uh, it's a pretty wide ranging conversation, and we sort of focused on the uh, expat and the and the acting element, um, uh, just because I think it it fed well into the the feature that it's paired with Joachim Joachim, Joachim Trier's uh, debut feature reprise. But I also wanted to show it because I'd worked on this Alan King retro with uh Seth Feldman and 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 Piers uh handling at the uh and Alan of course uh at the festival in the early 2000s uh when we used to do retros on Canadian filmmakers during the festival it was an enormous pleasure to work alongside Alan we restored a bunch of the films actually we didn't so much restore them as we transferred them to this you know amazing new format called DigiBeta uh, <laughs> beta. which was super cutting edge at the time, but a lot of the films had not been seen in a while, so it was good to get them out there. And eventually, I think that really, um, it really, you know, helped the films. People remind people of the films. I had never seen uh, these interviews, and both uh, my wife Carrie and and Piers and other people who saw them when we were in the program process were really sort of just amazed by them. Like it was such a great interview. It's just stuff you wouldn't see on TV anymore because it was so thoughtful and so thorough. And, you know, the conversation was sort of free ranging too. Um, and, but, you know, and I think it actually, the, the retro that we worked on helped Alan get funding for subsequent projects. And he, he finished his career with some three great documentaries, uh, Dying at Grace, A Memory for Max, uh, Claire and Ida and Emps for Life. Uh, and it was really, it was just a pleasure to work with Alan because he he was just a major figure in Canadian cinema, but he was also just like 
I'm uh, just a really great guy. It was just a pleasure to work with him. So I wanted to include something by Alan and this seemed appropriate given, you know, it dealt with acting and being in exile and it's sort of, it's not the exact same themes as reprise, but the, the sort of muted um, acting and reprise deals with some of the parallels uh, well saw in European or British acting versus American. And, you know, the whole exile stuff they bring up in the clip also it comes up in reprise. It's also about, it's about writers. It's a very sort of, um, I, you know, one of the things about Joachim Trier is that I think he's sort of the best, the, the best filmmaker I know about dealing with uh, youthful heartbreak, about the sort of dashing of optimism uh, um, or the loss of optimism. And he does it in a, um, you know, uh, you know, his empathy for his characters is 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 really profound. And he just has a, a really elegant way of uh, elegant and rather unique way of telling a story. If you've seen also August 31st, but reprise is not as well known uh, as his other titles. Uh, you know, for, for instance, a worst person in the world, which was Oscar nominated last year. Uh, you know, but the reprise is, was the first film I saw by him and it like, I've been a fan ever since. And we, we had, we were lucky enough to have the, North American premiere. It actually played Carlo Vivari before us and won, I think, the Fipresky Prize there. And then it won the Discovery Prize here and, and really helped establish him as a filmmaker. And of course, Oslo went on to, um, you know, be a huge hit at Cannes. And uh, he went on to make a really smart um, American film, too, called uh, Louder Than Bombs with a great performance by Gabriel Byrne. Uh, film also stars Jesse Eisenberg. Um, and then worst person in the world. And also, oh, great thriller thriller called Thelma. I think Joachim's one of the few filmmakers where uh, we actually, or I actually programmed all of his features. So uh, it was kind of, you know, this, and this one I find as beautiful as it once was. It reminds me a lot of the, you know, it reminds me a lot of, uh, there's a lot of music in it and a lot of fantasies about how the two main characters are going to uh, lead their lives. And it's just, um, it's really kind of breathtakingly, like assured filmmaking filmmaking for a, a first time feature filmmaker. Um, and it just, I don't know, it's like that kind of element of delusion. It reminds me of some of my favorite rock albums and that's a central theme in the, in the, in the movie too, because they're, you know, they're music fans as well as, uh, you know, want to be writers. Um, and it's really about that kind of, the film's primarily about the friendship and how disillusionment and, you know, it also raises, it also deals with mental health issues as well. I, I just, it's just a great, uh, pretty electrifying film, frankly. So it's, it's, I'm very happy to screen it again. Now you're also screening uh, two films by uh, one of my favorite uh, directors, Ingrid Benninger, uh, Bunny Project and Only. I haven't seen Bunny Project. Um, I've seen Only. So can we start with that? What's uh, Bunny Project about? Bunny Project. Uh, I'd met Ingrid before, but we met on on that film. It was one of the on the fly uh, films. Uh, maybe people don't remember on the fly anymore, but I think for four or five, it wasn't it wasn't an annual thing. But I think they did it three, four, five times maybe. And there was a group of people. Um, this great sort of uh, uh, Scott McLaren was one. Uh, Deborah Alston was one. Uh, um, you know, they had this. It was it was kind of a contest. And um, you apply to get in and you would make a film, shoot it in 24 hours and edit it in 24 hours. 
and I did one and Ingrid did another one. And so we were both in the same sort of group. I mean, I met Ingrid before, but that was kind of, um, it was kind of neat that we were both like working on the, on the, sh- the, the shorts had to be under 10 minutes. And this was Ingrid Short, The Bunny Project, which was about her son when he was quite young. Uh, and, you know, it's really about showing like compassion for people and, um, I think it was, uh, Jacob's first time on screen and, uh, um, it's a, it's just a really sort of lovely five minute, uh, piece about, you know, showing, you know, showing your emotions and feeling empathy for people. It's, uh, you know, I, I suppose, um, in some ways, uh, it prefigures the animal uh, project from later on in her career because there's sort of uh dress up that's done, uh, in it as well. Um, I did think about that when I saw the the photo yeah, for okay. Bunny Project, an animal and project. Course, and Jacob's the star of one of the stars of, of Only, which was based on um, Ingrid's, uh, n- not based on her childhood, but based on experiences or uh, um, places in her childhood, because I, I believe her parents used to run a motel. And it's about a kid sort of left to their own devices. Um, first romance uh, between two tweens. Uh, yeah. and it's like really beautifully observed. It's co observed. It's, uh, uh, co-directed by Simon Reynolds. Uh, she, he and Ingrid had worked together on, um, a TV series, uh, before. And it's just a really, it's, it's very simpatico with, uh, with the buddy project and, you know, very much like, uh, you know, Ingrid's, you know, a legend, uh, in Toronto indie circles that there's few, uh, filmmakers i know who are resourceful and inventive and uh dogged and you know have a lot to say about how how we treat each other i mean it's just a, it, it's been great to um have the opportunity to show a lot of her films over the years uh not just me but uh you know other the, uh, the other canadian programmers so it's just i'm you know this was the first one um uh and i her first feature and i i you know i i hasn't been seen in a while i thought it would be cool for people to see it again she's gutsy that's what i think of ingrid she's Absolutely. gutsy <laughs> um uh, okay she's also like you know incredibly her energy level is off the charts because she you know she worked with a very small crew so she basically does everything yeah so, which is very impressive uh i think you get the intimacy even when she gets a slightly larger budget with films like porcupine lake um it's still you, you still have that intimacy with the actors i mean she gets great performances out of young actors yeah she does definitely and then we have alanis who is what i wrote it and when i used to blog uh i i remember writing something about alanis abomswain and the fact that she she gets you every time it's like she sneaks you into this move into her documentaries and before you know it, you're learning something about a difficult subject, but it's not trauma porn, um, no. is what I'm saying in, about her films. Um, tell me about your perspective on this incredible legendary filmmaker, Alanis. Well, Alanis is, um, I hope Mr. I think was her first feature doc in a while. It would have been a couple of years when we screened it. Um, this film, I think, is like it deals with, you know, tragedy, like tragedy upon tragedy, I think. But it's also, you know, like a lot of her films, it, it, it looks forward. It tries to, you know, it acknowledges and deals with the emotional impact of the tragedy. But it also wants to, you know, what can we do to move forward? I mean, it's 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 sort of centered around the death of a young girl and how she had she was an activist herself. And uh, uh, she but it was also it wasn't 
about just her loss, but how she inspired people. And I think that's really what's heartbreakingly beautiful about the film. And that's yeah. often been the case with uh, Alanis's films. With Alanis's films, there's just the thrill of somebody speaking truth outright, which I've seen happen in some Q and A's with her. She's she's a phenomenon. Uh, but the uh, um, you know, and, and I think that there's even even when you deal with tragedy, there's something electrifying about speaking the truth right. uh, when it's covered up and hidden and and whatever. But I also think that there's you know this one I think is particularly good because of the particularly. Um, it shows how much, like, the beauty of language and spoken word. I think she used a lot of John Sinclair, not John Sinclair, sorry. She used a lot of poetry in it. Um, and uh, it's, it's, um, it's really powerful stuff. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, I got to know more about um, Shannon Custation because of High Hole Mr. Hay. Uh, yeah. The young woman who you know, whose life was cut short at 15 because of a tragic accident. But, you know, her spirit lives on and uh, what she was trying to do in terms of, you know, striving for education for First Nations uh, youth. It still continues. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, those uh, those issues are still out there. Uh, but I also in terms of the poetry, I wanted to add like it's there's some. Alanis's voice is, is throughout uh, most, if not all, of her films, and mm-hmm. her, her manners like she's just a, it's just a powerful voice to listen to, both because of what she's saying, but also because of how she says it. I think that there's a, a you know it's kind of it's just um, impactful. Yeah, absolutely. Paradise was uh, Seven Boats by Leonard Palmerson. Why that combination? Uh, well, I, I, uh, I wanted something by, from Iceland, uh, because it's one of my favorite filmmaking countries and mine too. one of my, places, one of my place, favorite places to go, actually one of my favorite places on the planet. It's just, I've been there like a lot and I've seen more of that than any other country, probably save Canada that in terms of what I program on, uh, we got back a couple months ago and we went to the Westman islands and. You know, I just find that, I don't know, there's something about the country that really draws me. And Leaner's um, short um, Seven Boats um, was uh, was actually not, it wasn't programmed by me. It was programmed by our shorts programmers. I think that was Jason and Magaly, Jason Anderson and Magaly Samard. And I wanted to show the kind of, and because of that, like Leaner's always had a, you know, been fond of uh, Tiff. And then we went on to show, uh, um uh, Winter Brothers, and then uh, uh, White White Day, and then and then the most recent film, of course. Um, and you know, I, I wanted to sort of show the way programming works at TIFF, which is like, you know, there's a, uh, you know, I got, I get to work with a lot of great short film programmers, and and you know, they they create a community for filmmakers, and it's sort of I just wanted to sort of highlight that. And Seven Boats is a really um, uh, striking, visually striking film uh, with a kind of, you know, off-ball, weird, uh, somewhat sinister humor, and also, you know, I mean, they, they, uh, you know, I, 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 I just thought it might, it might pair well, um, and also, you know, it's, it's, it's very much about um, dealing with, uh, dealing with uh, tragedy, but on a natural level, uh, um, or you know, obstacles and. Uh, uh, you know, on, on, in in terms of an in terms of the natural environment, so I thought that was kind of um, 
you know, an, 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 an interesting pairing. I'm not sure they play off each other in, in the same way that other films do, but it just, uh, I thought they would work together. Um, the Green Butchers, uh, Anders Thomas Jensen, uh, skipping over to, to Denmark. And that one has Moss Mikkelsen, uh, yeah. one of my favorites. Uh, so for yeah. people who haven't seen the film, tell them what it's about. The Green Butchers is a Andrew Thomas Jensen's second film, a feature. Uh, he'd done a film uh, called Flickering Lights before, uh, a kind of a film noir, low-rent gangsters on the run movie. Uh, um, this one is a more, that one had a lot of funny offbeat elements and starred um Oliver Thompson and Mads is, and uh, I think Nikolai Lee Koss, who's also in Green Butchers. Um, and and that had a lot of humor, but Green Butchers is, it's sort of like Sweeney Todd. Uh, if there were two, uh, you know, if they were butchers and, and you know, kind of low rent uh, butchers too, they're sort of struggling. Um, there's a very funny story where Anders, uh, um, and Mads, they were talking about casting, uh, you know, Mads being involved in the film. And I think Mads was complaining about how people were often talking about his looks too much and he didn't enjoy that. And why are people obsessed with looks? And then, and then uh, or he, he wanted to do, anyway, he was sort of miffed by, uh, by you know, how people were responding to his performances. And then, and then immediately after said, and immediately after that, I said, yeah, and for this film, you'll have to shave your head bald. <laughs> <laughs> and you know he plays uh sven sweat or sweaty sven and he's like he's constantly nervous and um and then his his partner is played by nikolai lee koss who i think has has one of the more mem mo well there's a lot of memorable lines in the film but the most memorable to me is like uh, when somebody's talking about how out of it he is. And he said, I smoke 20 joints a day. I wouldn't notice if my hair was on fire. Like, uh, uh, which is funny. Uh, um, not a recommended intake. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, uh, so, you know, just a great, it's a really great ensemble piece. Uh, very funny. And, you know, we, we, uh, over the years, we got to show a lot of Anders films, uh, this was the first one uh, um, and, you know, others, uh, I, I just was, you know, it was a thrill to be able to show that and, and find that filmmaker. Um, and of course he would go on to like, he wasn't just a director, but he, you know, he, he was a writer director, but he also wrote or co-wrote scripts with a ton of great filmmakers like Susanna Beer um, in a better world. He co-wrote, he co-wrote brothers. I think he co-wrote after the wedding as well. Uh, I think he co-wrote Open Hearts with her. He co-wrote uh, films like A Time for Beginners with Loni Scherfig. So, uh, you know, a major figure in Danish film. Mm -hmm. I'm skipping over to Finland now with uh, with Zyda Bergroth because I interviewed Zyda for Maria's Paradise in 2019 at TIFF. And then I'm yeah. looking at her and I'm thinking, why is her name so familiar? Why is her name so familiar? And I realized it's because I'd seen The Good Son. Um, which uh, which is going to be screening at uh, at the Tiff Bell Lightbox as part of your uh, as part of your scene the North. So um, when it popped up, I was like, oh my god! People will now have a chance to see what I was talking about um, with the Good Son, and of yeah, course she's gone. She's gone on to do uh, Tove as well, and so many other films. 
Yeah, Tove was a big hit for her. Yeah, it did really well. Um, Miami, I really also, also really liked, and Maria's Paradise. Yeah. Um, but I, I, Good Son and her first feature, Last Cowboy Standing, uh, well, Good Son, I, well, Good Son sort of pretty dear because I think that was the first one we showed, and we really should have shown Last Cowboy Standing too. It's a very good film. But this is uh, one of the great uh, recent portraits of bad parenting. Um, at the main character is an actress, uh, and she's you know always in the sort of tabloid headlines, and she tells her eldest uh, son, a teenager, um, that you know they're going to um, uh, that she's had enough, and she just had a big fight with one of her directors, and she wants to go to the countryside and um, uh, you know reconnect with. Uh, her eldest and youngest son and um and within a day or two she's bored and calls her sort of uh um actor friends and they show up there's a great scene when they show up and you know it's she's kind of let these kids down again because she can't bear to be alone she needs people around she needs to be the center of attention as opposed to having people rely on her um so it's sort of heartbreaking uh, but there's a great scene where they where her friends show up and one of them's so wasted he passes out before he gets to the house uh, I the remember cottage. that. <laughs> I uh, remember that. Yeah, yeah, they're great performances up and down by the young kid. Uh, um, really, you know, it's heart wrenching, but also really powerful. And you know, it has that. It, it's it's truth telling, so it has that energy too. Um, even though, um, you know, it deals with the, some pretty tough subjects, and you know, it's never great to see a parent uh, mistreat or neglect. Um, uh, you know, a child and, you know, the son just does, he, he's also got a romance going on in the, uh, in the, in the community too. And, and, and the mom has no uh, time for him or, you know, and it's just, it's just a powerful portrait of that that's one of the things that I think Nordic films share with Canadian films uh, a lot. There's a lot of portraits of, you know, pretty tough portraits of, you know, critiques of bad parenting, uh, which I think is that and the humor really links, uh, uh, the sort of, you know, absurd, uh, uh, sinister, uh, um, gallows humor, uh, uh, of Canadians and, uh, uh, in, in the Canadians is sort of reflected in a lot of the films from the Nordic or Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Agreed. We've got a really cool short, uh, in front of, uh, the good son to Hogtown Blues by Hugh Gibson, who also did the stairs, which won the, uh, uh, Toronto Film Critics Association Award uh, 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 for Best Canadian Film a, a few years back, and and it's it, 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 I, that was one of the first shorts I ever programmed, and it's a really great uh, portrait, uh, really sensitive and empathetic portrait of uh, Russian immigrants uh, and loneliness in in Toronto, um, and it still holds up really well. So I'm super thrilled to show it, and uh, you will be there. We've got to talk about. Pontypool with Margaret Boulevard. And then we've got those who make revolution halfway only dig their own graves. <laughs> so yeah. in the last few minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, um, Pontypool is Bruce McDonald's uh, amazing, uh, really unique, innovative uh, zombie movie um, uh, that is not like any other zombie movie I've ever seen. Great performance by Stephen McHattie. It hasn't been available for a few years, so great to show it. It's double billed. Uh, it's going to be preceded by uh, Larry Kent's Hastings Street, 
uh, and Larry is coming in from Montreal, and Bruce McDonald will be present for Pontypool too, so that'll be neat. Um, both great films. It took Larry almost 30 years to finish Hastings Street. It was one of his first films. He's, he did Bitter Ash, one of the first, uh, he's one of the first BC feature filmmakers. So it's great to have him there. And, um, uh, those who make, uh, uh, Revolution Halfway only dig their own graves. Uh, uh, Magali and I programmed it. Magali Samardi is actually going to be there to introduce the film with me. Uh, and Agata Del Sorbo will be there for Hi Ho Mr. Hay as well. But anyway, um, uh, the, those who make Revolution Halfway is a very unique, uh, probably formally one of the most radical and politically one of the most radical films I've ever shown, directed by Matthew Denis and Simone Lavoie. Um, uh, a memorable opening where it's just people shuffling into the theater scene in silhouette that goes on for a long time. So if you can make it through that, the film is like, it, it's constantly, it's very demanding of its audience. Um, it actually, we, Magdalene and I were programming and then it wound up in the platform section and then it went on to win the best Canadian feature film that year. And I can't say I was, it's rare that I've been prouder of a jury because I think this film takes a lot of risks and is very smart and has some of the, um, some of the most powerful sequences in any film I've ever shown in the years I've been programming a tip. And if it's I can mention, sorry, I have to interrupt you and let people know it's 183 minutes. It's long. <laughs> uh, is, it has weight so uh there is uh and if you stick with it it's more than rewarding uh, uh it's it's really memorable um it's actually been programmed internationally because people thought it was i think they had a loose definition of documentary but I, I, some people think, like it has a documentary aspect to it um and it's interesting because when i saw it i thought the sort of kid radicals who are sort of holed up in a house and like you know, just plotting revolution, but really doing nothing except being kind of awful to each other and to the house where they're basically squatting and they don't clean anything. Uh, um, but they're, uh, you know, it's like the filmmakers are quite like, I, you know, you thought they were terrible. And then there's this great scene where there's a dinner sequence where they get lectured to by their, one of them gets lectured to by their father about how, you know, his generation did everything. And, um, uh, you know, and then everybody else after them is super lazy and useless. And, and her response to that is like one of the, it's, it's the perfect ending to a political family dinner discussion. I, I missed of, it. Sorry. I missed this in 2016 because of the length and I had to, I could fit in a couple of films. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing this film. Those who make revolution halfway only dig their own graves. Yeah. So. It's, it's and if I could just mention one more, uh, you, you mentioned Princess Margaret Boulevard. That's yes. Taz Redwine's first uh, short, or the first short that played at TIFF, and I think we played almost everything after that. And, of course, his features, which have been exceptional. Um, Taz is a lot like uh, Ingrid. He's been a real, like, prominent and significant voice uh, in the Toronto indie community. So it's, it's great to... Uh, have one of his shorts and it's preceding one of my all time favorites. And I have to do a big shout out to, uh, uh Vivian Bellick and Jessica, uh, Smith for finding uh, this, uh, the feature it's with Jillian Armstrong's high tide, which I don't think has ever shown in Toronto before. I believe there were some issues, uh, and, in, uh, initially with getting the film into Canada, it's Jillian Armstrong's, I think third or fourth feature. Um, I think after Mrs. Sofal, it is a powerful study about a woman trying to reconnect with her long lost 
with a long lost family member. I don't want to get too much into the, the plot. Uh, it's, it's, uh, Judy Davis's greatest performance. In fact, I'd say it's one of the greatest performances in film that I've ever seen. Uh, it is incredibly powerful and it's super rare to see this. You can't, it's really difficult to find this film. So big hats off to Vivian and Jessica for finding, uh, finding it. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, I'm really chuffed that we're going to get to screen it. I've never seen it on film. I've never seen, I've never seen it in, in cinema. I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen Phantom of the Paradise in cinema either. So, um, it's going to be neat. Yeah. This is a great curatorial ser- series. Um, Steve, thank you so much for putting it together and for those who helped you do it. So again, uh, tickets are free for members, uh, but for all information, go to tiff.net. Um, and check out these titles that we've been talking about in the uh, Scene the North. Um, I feel like you should be adding an A there. See the North thing? <laughs> I just wanna, thanks for all the support over the years, too. I just, like, you guys have been, you know, uh, talking about the films with you and Gordon, like, talking about the films with you and on More the Merrier and CIUT, and it's just been, like, it's, you know, I mean, the fact that you remembered Good Senate, I'm like, I'm pretty... I figured you would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Zyna and I have are corrected are connected on Instagram now. So it's it's great. Oh, it's yeah. because of you that I'm connected to all these Nordic filmmakers. So, so that uh, you guys had for the films was really, you know, it really keeps you like engaged and it's, it's yeah, very definitely. Um, but yeah. I'm not done with you yet. There will be more interviews in the future because I want to talk about that uh, that book you did on Icelandic film cool. that's still to come. For sure. So, thank you, Steve, so much for joining me. And I hope uh, others will come out and uh, see some, if not all, of the films that you have programmed um, at the Toronto International Film Festival's Tiff Bell Lightbox. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. And that was my interview with departing senior programmer Steve Gravestock. His carte blanche series, Seeing the North, opened on January 7th. And for those two opening films, Phantom of the Paradise and Phantom of Winnipeg, simply go to my podcast and you can listen to that. You can access my podcast by simply going to www.ciut.fm, click on my Instagram and follow the link tree once you get there. The rest of Seeing the North continues until the end of January. And for more information, simply go to www.tiff.net, www.tiff.net. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. Seeking for a place to call home Scatter, scatter, scatter Across the globe we roam Who are we? And where do we come from? Are you going my way? I know I'm not the only one Can't you see that I'm coming home? 
cutting, cutting, cutting eyes, they all stare. People, people, my people, do we belong anywhere? I left Babylon behind, and what do I see? The Garden of Eden, betrayed by inequality, miseducation, ignorance, and poverty. To rest your head, home, your shelter, your bread, home, a place for cool meditation, home, seed of our peace loving nation, home, the land of our ancestors, place in our hearts for our brothers and our sisters, home, the quiet comfort in my soul I call home, home, home. is the seven days story. I loved it so much when I was young because my mother used to use it and it helped me in counting when I was very small. So I loved this story so much. A long time ago, there lived a king who had a beautiful daughter called Ewa. She was so beautiful that every eligible young man in that village and even young men from other villages wanted her hand in marriage. And one day, the father called his daughter and said, excuse me, Ewa, my daughter, 
Can you choose one of these young men and stop them from invading my palace day in, day out? Oh, the, which one can I choose? Asked the daughter Ewa. They are all so handsome and hardworking. I don't know who to choose. The father said, okay, I will help you. So he went into his meditating room, we will call it today. The chiefs have their own quiet room where they think and reason and meditate. So the king said, hold on, I will help you. He went into his meditating room. After a couple of days, he called his daughter and said, my daughter, I have an idea of how to help you. I'm going to call all the young men to my palace. Whoever among them can tell me a story that will last for seven days and seven nights will have your hand in marriage. Oh, the girl didn't quite like that, but in those days, children didn't disobey their parents. So she said, okay. The king sent the royal town crier with his drum to town to go and summon all the young men to his palace. When they came, he told them that he would like to know who among them could tell him a story that will last for seven days, and that young man will marry his daughter. Oh, all of them said, this is a piece of banana. Who cannot tell stories? Ah, go, said the king, come back on the seventh day. So the seventh day, the king sent his town crier to remind the young men to come. So all of them came to the palace. The first set of young men to tell were the merchants because they told so many stories on their travels, their journeys from town, village to village, town to town. They were very overconfident that they had lots of stories that would last seven days. But their stories didn't even last half a day. And they had to bribe the king with gifts so that he won't put them in jail for wasting his time. The next group were the princes who told long and boring tales of life in the palace and all that. No story lasted a day. Then the, the wrestlers who sang songs of stories, telling stories, but no story lasted a day. All the young men tried, nobody, all of them failed the test. They had to appeal to the king not to put them in jail by giving him lots of presents. Then when it was apparent that nobody would pass that test, one young man that everybody knew as Wena, the poor young man in the village, put up his hand at the back of the crowd. And he said, your majesty, I can't tell. Everybody looked back and they were shocked to see the, the poor young man who had very little farm and raggedy clothes. And people started to laugh. They laughed and laughed. <laughs> oh, where are all these princes and merchants? They failed. And the king said, I didn't say whoever is rich enough. I said, whoever can tell me a story that will last for seven days will marry my daughter. Young man, don't waste my time. Are you sure you can't tell a story that will last for seven days and seven the young man said, yes, your majesty, I'm prepared to tell a story that will last for seven days for you and my co-villagers. 
All right, go back and come back tomorrow. So the following day, the young man, the king, the princess, everybody eager to listen to this young man that they call Raggedy Young Man came to listen to him and he started his story. Your Majesty and all my village people, thank you. A long time ago, there were some farmers who used to do group farming. Every year they would plant corn together, harvest together, and that certain year, they were doing the gathering in and singing happily, drumming, and then one of them looked up and saw that there was something dark, a dark patch in the sky, and said, oh, there's a cloud, everybody, let's hurry up. And before they hurried up, another person looked and said, no, the cloud is moving down gradually. They are locusts, locusts. It was a swarm of locusts before they could even pack anything into their beans and all that. The locusts descended and finished everything. And the following year, the villagers got wiser. They built a good granary and they did their harvesting quickly on time. They harvested the corn, put it in the granary and sealed it up, so they thought. Again, the locust came that year and they saw some little grains on the ground, but they knew that there was something in that granary. They could sense it that there was corn in that granary and they started to fly round and round the granary until one tiny locust saw a little hole and squeezed itself in and succeeded in taking a grain of corn and squeezed itself out. This was followed by another locust who took a grain of corn and flew away. And yet another locust took a grain of corn and flew away and the king clapped his hand and stamped his foot and said, and after that, what happened? After that, your majesty, another locust went in, took a grain of corn and flew away. Yet another locust took a grain. The monotony of his narrating soon lulled all the villagers and the king and the princess, everybody to sleep. They were all sleeping and dozing until the king woke up and said, okay, young man, I've had enough today. Come back tomorrow. The following day, when I came to the village arena where the king and all the villagers were already assembled, waiting to listen to the young man telling. When I came and greeted everybody, then he continued his story of the previous day. Your Majesty, one tiny locust has just crept into the hole in the granary and taken out a grain of corn and it's flying away. Yet another locust has gone in and with difficulty is rolling out the big grain that it took and is flying away. Yet another locust entered the hole and took a grain of corn, spread out its wings and is flying away. And another locust followed closely by and entered the hole. King stamped his foot and clapped his hands. Will you tell us what happened? He shouted. Yes, your majesty. More and more locusts were milling around the hole. Only one could get in at a time. So 
One locust succeeded in getting in, took a grain of corn and flew away. Then another locust crept in, took a grain of corn, crept out and flew away. Another look, go on and tell us what happened at the end or I'll order my guards to put you in jail. But your majesty, said Wena, to tell you the end of a very beautiful story right in the middle of it will spoil the story. Many listeners cheered him on, seeing that Wena was becoming popular with the spectators, the king let him continue. They all fell asleep again. After snoring for a while, the king sent Wena and everybody home. On the third day, Wena continued his story as before. This time, the king did not interrupt his story. After dozing for a while, he dismissed the people. Then the fourth day came. Wena continued his story as before. Many locals were waiting impatiently for their turn. There was only one hole. One locust crept in, took a grain of corn, crept out and flew away. Another locust crept in, took a grain of corn. Have they no other means of doing it? Can they go away as the king impatiently? No, your highness. Locusts are neither clever nor equipped like human beings to research and find other ways of going about it. Secondly, they are hungry. There are tons of grains in the granary, but there's just only one tiny hole for the millions of locusts milling around to enter and pick their corn kernel. So one locust crept up the hole happily grabbed a grain, crept out, and flew away. Another locust crept in, took a grain, and flew away. Yet another locust crept in, took a grain, and flew off. Then another locust, the king interrupted him. Young man, how long do you think it will take for the locust to empty the granary? Your majesty said, Wena. I cannot say. I don't know the mathematics. All I know is that there are millions of locusts. They only have one tiny hole into the granary. So far, they've only emptied one third of a sack when there are hundreds of sacks full of grain. When I continued, another locust crept in, took a grain of corn, crept out and flew off. Then another locust came, took a grain of corn, crept out and flew away. Yet another locust came, took a grain of corn, flew away. Yet, please, can you tell us what happened at the end? Pleaded the king. Your Highness, today is only the fourth day. I still have three days to go. The granary has to be emptied first. The king persisted. How long do you think it will take for the locusts to empty the granary? The king asked again. I cannot tell your majesty, said Wena. All I know is that millions of locusts are still hovering around. There are tons of grain sacks to be emptied. 
We can only know the answer if we continue the story until the granary is emptied by the locusts. Again, the crowd cheered. Wena continued. One locust crept in through the hole, took a grain of corn, crept carefully out, and flew away. This was followed by another locust who quickly entered the hole, rolled out a grain of corn, and flew away. Yet another locust, enough, said the king, smiling. Ewa, my daughter, this is the cleverest young man I have ever seen or heard. Then he turned to Wena. Young man, I gladly give you the hand of my beautiful daughter Ewa in marriage. Not only that, you will ascend my throne when I go to join our ancestors. May both of you prosper in your wisdom and courage. Call out the royal drummers. The villagers cheered, sang, feasted, danced, and rejoiced with the couple who lived happily ever after. A story is for telling. My ancestors told me so.
Yeah. 